0: Hey, Liberators. Welcome to the Buyer Centric Revenue Model podcast. This is going to be a mishmash of audio content, LinkedIn content, guest podcasts, interviews, debates, and live Q&A. We'll primarily discuss how you can liberate yourself from the outdated and harmful sales-led growth model from the 1980s and instead achieve marketing-led growth via the Buyer Centric Revenue Model. Enjoy profit, growth, and growth. A competitive advantage in more productive and fulfilling careers. Topics include one marketing versus sales development. Two real sales versus sales assembly line. Three real goals and metrics versus MQLs and quota. Four full salary plus bonus versus commission. If you haven't already, I highly demand that you sign up for the buyercentric Revenue Model Slack community to discuss and implement the model join the movement of forward-thinking peers liberating and modernizing B2B marketing and sales enjoy insights resources and jobs plus live Q&A on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time head over to buyercentricrevenue.com to sign up if you want to learn more check out my linkedin videos or my book marketing led growth via the Buyer-Centric revenue model available on amazon in ebook paperback and audiobook and now to this episode. Hey, everyone. In this episode, we've got Laura Erdem the, uh, from DreamData.io, a marketing software company with 34 employees. Now, you might assume from all her amazing social media marketing that she is in marketing, which I had thought, but actually she's in sales uh, as an account executive. So we've got you know a superpower here, both a marketing and a sales hat, which I think is very powerful. And so her insights to be great. Um, in fact, she generates all her leads um, from her LinkedIn social media marketing. And I think she's got something she's got like 13,000 followers or something. Right. It's, it's a lot way more than me. Um, and so anyway, she's a, a great example of proper, modern, non-spam marketing. So very excited to have you on, Laura. Thanks so much for coming on the show.
1: Nelson, I'm a big fan of yours. When you invited me for the show, it's like, yes, (laughs) that was nice. (laughs) I'm looking forward to this chat. Thank you so much for the nice words.
0: Likewise, likewise. So let's stick you right into the B2B buyers flip-flops. And so maybe you can share with us how you first like to become aware of vendors, how you first like to hear about them in the awareness stage. So leave aside for the moment how you do research and learn about vendors once you become aware of them. This is just that initial awareness. Um, So, you know, how do you like to hear about them? From who do you like to hear about them? Where, on what channels? So, for example, uh, peers, word of mouth, referrals, community, um, Mm -hmm. content, social like LinkedIn, um, influencers, ads, and the like. So, go ahead.
1: Yeah. So, my key to go, place is LinkedIn. And it will be for the most of the stuff that we're talking about. I'm in B2B. So most of the stuff that I would need to buy is some B2B SaaS product. And even if I'm not in the market for any type of that product, I've got like a baggage of products in my mind right now. Like, you know about them even before you know what they actually do. I mm. have a list of names of companies that I had to Google what they actually do. I'm saying, this is a cool company. It's like, I would either like to buy it or maybe when they work for it, because they sound very, very <laughs> cool. And and kind of, this is the way I learn about the new products from branding perspective. Mm. Influencer marketing, I started looking into TikTok. And guess what? Most of those B2B brands that I knew the names of, of LinkedIn, They're there and they're spinning off even funnier stories over there. And I start to learn about them and then you can move on into like the new talk and find out what they're doing and so on. And maybe this is something that you will need like in a year or two or something. But other than that, well, Pierce is always the place to go. Like right now we are about to buy like sales meetings tool, you can say that, or like coaching tool, whatever you call it. And well, there is just one company that comes into your mind. There's <laughs> a one let me, let me guess.
0: Is it gong? <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and when I knew that we were going to test that company, I was like, oh, I'm looking forward to try out their sales experience. <laughs> like how that is going to be, because marketing experience is fantastic but the next thing then you really have not to fail with is your sales experience as well we had a chat with chili piper the other day as well Mm. i did not know what they do i did not know what they do i knew that they've got the sauce they've got their caps and stuff like that and Mm. i was thinking if one day i am outbounded by somebody from chili piper it will almost be a badge of honor. I will think, hmm, I want to see their pitch. <laughs> and, and by that, you get that experience that you almost know those people. Of course, I'm naming the companies mm. of like, who are really, really killing it out there. but But they're doing it so well that you don't even need to go out and look for them. They're there with the stuff out there where you consume your mm. content and so much fun that i know your name <laughs> it's like what is it that you're doing
0: yeah exactly so you know this is a these are great examples gong and chili piper uh, who do amazing marketing and um you know laura is hearing about vendors on linkedin uh from peers uh, from influencers and uh, she's also on tiktok and um it, it's it's the type of marketing where um she just enjoys so much of the content and social media uh, and just the personality of the brands that she doesn't necessarily know at first what they do. But over time um, you find that out. Uh, maybe you check out the person's profile or, you know, you, you just keep hearing the name and eventually you look into it. And that's how I learned about Laura. I was like, I was really enjoying our content. And then I was like, what the heck is dream data? And I was like, okay, cool marketing software for uh, at, you know, attribution software. Um, and so, you eventually just check that, check someone's profile out and, and then, then you kind of go from there. So I think that's a, those are really good examples. And so let's take the inverse of this question. Um, How do you not like to hear about vendors? What causes you to tune out and turn off when it comes to vendors marketing?
1: Yeah. I don't like to be cold, cold. And, I do pick up the phone for the non known numbers mm. because I've got kids and you don't know where <laughs> it're calling from at the mm. and I pick up the call and I can hear the sales pitch coming through. It's like you feel as you're always talking about you feel handcuffed okay now i I mean I'm a nice person from heart. I cannot just drop the phone. I have to listen through it, and I have to find a nice way to say no. Mm. Like, <laughs> even though it was something very relevant, maybe I am looking for, I don't know, whatever that you're calling for right now. But no, <laughs> please, please get the credibility before. And and not that I'm like neglecting or I, I don't know, like putting myself on the pedestal that, oh, no, but if you want to sell to me, you have mm. to come to me. Like I like to learn about stuff and so on. I'm not that type of a person, but I can feel that. If you have been somewhere out there where I'm reading information on LinkedIn, whatever it is, and so on, and never came with an ask, but then later when you come with that ask, it's so much more natural because I feel attracted to what you're talking about. And it's so much easier for me at least to hear you out and tell you no in a nice way instead of, oh. Or email, cold emailing. Sometimes I like to look into my spam box because it's very funny. But but you don't want to like expose those people either. I don't even want to respond back negatively. like, oh, why are you sending me this pitch? Because, well, this is their job. This is how they're measured. And I don't know what type of a place those people are in their lives and in their careers. It might be the job that they really need to keep. And it, that's what's keeping them sending those me emails. And if I send them back an emails like, oh, th- this is not a nice pitch or something like that, it will make their day worse. That's not what I want to do. So don't call me. Don't cold email me or something like that. Let's chat. It's really, really easy to start a conversation mm. and then tell me what you want. And if you just tell me, you know, Laura, I actually connected with you just to pitch to you. Fine. <laughs> it's like, it's Okay.
0: Yeah, so telemarketing, email spam—you know—it it rubs you the wrong way, causes you to turn off and tune out, and it's just—it's really unpleasant. And obviously, it's not their fault of the spammers. It's—it's they're—they're set up for failure, and it's their leaders who should know better and should not. I'm sorry, that's the <laughs> garbage truck. Um, so it's not their fault, and so you feel a bit bad. You you feel pity, and that's not a good experience for a buyer to on the receiving end of marketing to to feel pity for the spammers and so you also at the end there mentioned linkedin spam so you know you are very active on linkedin and trying to build a genuine network and audience and 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 followers and um at the same time you also get hit up probably a lot uh by linkedin spam the connect and pitch you know with a product pitch or request to speak to sales and so how does that um sit with you uh you know uh similar to telemarketing email spam
1: unfortunately i stopped responding to them to begin with i used to respond like in a nice way like sorry not relevant but then i know that i will get a follow-up message after that Mm. and that's time consuming again it's like oh why who is the right person to talk to and then i will anyway need to cut that off and and it's dragging the energy away from me so i just don't respond unless they did a little bit of kind of personalization then I will comment yeah thank you this is nicely personalized but this is not relevant for me thank you goodbye so I don't feel well about that and possibly because usually like psychologically I like that you start with like kind of what do you like what you dislike of when you're buying because since I don't do that I don't like other people to do that to me as well because I don't reach out in that cold way because people don't want to buy it that way. And I've learned that. And I know it, maybe they still don't know it, but they'll learn it. But from my own perspective, I'm kind of reflecting back on. The, yeah. the, the,
0: the and I think that's uh, where you are at where you, what you're doing now. You're doing a lot of proper modern non-spam marketing through content and social. And it's very successful. And that's how I arrived at the same thing because I was in sales development and then I was in sales. Um, and I realized like spam, is unnecessary and does more harm than good, and what's actually what buyers do want is proper modern non spam marketing and how to lean into that and what that is and I had to discover that and so I, a lot of people just aren't there yet and so what would you say is the percentage split preference as a buyer um for proper modern non spam marketing like you talked about in the beginning of the call um uh you know, LinkedIn peers, influencers, content, social, word of mouth versus spam versus telemarketing, email spam, and uh, LinkedIn spam.
1: Yeah, I oof, 100 to zero.
0: <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like, how many? I mean, <laughs> what person's gonna say? Yeah, I know it's a bit of a, a leading question, that one, right? But maybe, sorry, were you gonna provide some color in that one?
1: Yeah, because I was thinking if. This one, 100 to zero, is when I'm not in the market for buying the product, is when I like kind of warmed up, get the, is that relevant for you at all? And one day you will remember the brand, so then it's 100 to zero. But if I am in the market for the product, let's mm-hmm. say this meeting software that I'm looking for, so that will mean that no matter what, I'll need to do more due diligence than just to go for that expensive company that is doing amazing marketing, possibly their other tools that are doing this very similar thing. And by that, then I will start Googling, try to see what is it that they have. I will ask our CEO because some of the other tools that we're testing out are coming. Actually, a very nice split. So we've got Gong. Then we've got a reference from our CEO because he knows another co-founder who started a similar company. And the third one was a LinkedIn one. So we're looking into mm. Avoma as well, Yeah. because Jag he reached out to me at the very good point. I don't remember what is it that he asked, but I kind of mentioned to him, oh, I asked about one on ones. And he said, oh, but you are in the buying process right now. You have to test this out. And I said, yes, because I know Avoma and I know Jag. And it's kind of then it's getting more personalized. But when you think about the information that you need when you're doing your research from each and every company, then I would expect that to be more like maybe 60 to 40, where 40% comes from sales when it's exactly relevant to you. Yeah. Because- That's what I expect from sales, that they are going to deliver the information if it is going to be any links or reference stories or anything like that. So I don't need to browse and read through, I don't know, 150 success stories. They're going to send me one or two for exactly the company we are for and we are going to buy and the problem that we're going to solve. That will make my life easier. But then it's not spam. It's like very far away in the sales journey.
0: Yeah. In fact, Yag is the head of marketing at Avoma and I had him on the podcast earlier. And so this is proper marketing where if you're on social media marketing and you see that Laura is looking for a software tool, she's in the market and she posts about that on a public platform, um, or you have a relationship with her, um, through content, through social and then it's appropriate, um, to say, to, say, to say, hey, yep, you're asking for a vendor, here we are. Um, and so that's very different than getting a telemarketing call or email spam or LinkedIn spam with a product pitch or a request to speak to sales. Um, and so, um, you know, to what she's saying here, it's she, if she's in the market, if she's like about to go, she's interested in a certain t- category of software and whatever. Um, and let's say she's interested in Gong, because Gong's great marketing. And it happens that because of their, the way that B2B does marketing nowadays, um, she's interested in Gong. She's learning more about Gong. And what they do is they then send someone to go spam her um, because they could see that she's on the website or they could see, or they have her contact information because she's downloaded some piece of content that was gated or whatever. Um, and then they try to like get her into sales. And the question is, um, is that necessary? And does that do more harm than good? uh, relative to their other marketing efforts. Was she, does that, what, you know, how, to what extent does that turn her off or positively influence her? Um, and was she, you know, cause she's learning from her peers, she's learning from the website, she's learning from content social, and she knows where sales is when she wants sales. She knows it to the extent she wants sales versus let's say a free trial or a buy now. It's not a mystery. You go to the website and you hit request to speak to sales. And that's when she's ready to speak to sales. So Um, there's a, those are the, those are the questions really to ask yourself. Is it necessary? And does it do more harm than good? Um, and so, okay, um, hundred percent to zero on the percentage split preference, um, for proper marketing versus spam. Now let's pivot to the research and learning phase. So once you become aware of vendors, how do you then like to, uh, learn about them? I think you talked, we just talked a little bit about that, like going to the website, speaking to peers, um, you know, and so maybe you can talk about, um, you know, what information do you want when you're learning about vendors and where do you go for it? So again, peers, website, and then on the website, what information do you like, for example, um, about the product, to see the product, to try the product, pricing, integrations, uh, social mm-hmm. proof, use cases, things like that. Like what type of stuff do you want to see on the website? Go ahead.
1: So on the website, there there has to be the social proof that, okay, you've got clients. So one of the three Uh, trials that we're having right now is a smaller startup and well one of the things when i came to their website was do they have any clients or are we going to be the first ones because we know we're Mm going to get a lot of attention and the product is probably good but but are other ones using it as well so that proof 100 percent then integrations are very important but some of the tools do different things like in a different way that you actually need it gong does a lot of things like evoma does a little bit less Mm. and the third one does even less but at our stage this might be enough the small part so i need to find out is like where on that ladder we are so we talk about inside the team and when we're talking about the sales tools so most of us have been at like several companies before and use some of the tools. So there comes the social proof. Is it good? And everybody's saying, yes, Gong is good, but it's big <laughs> and mm. it's expensive. So should we like niche down and later get into there? It's like, this is how, how we go through. It's like go internally on the website, social proof, integrations, mm. very important. But the most important thing is the trial. Mm. When we're trying it out, how does it feel? After I had those meetings, what does it come out as an outcome? What can I action upon? Is it enough to have that tiny niche, what we were actually looking for? Or should we go for the big shebang that we're possibly only going to use in in a year's time? So trial, 100%. And I totally buy into your message that sales is hand-to-hand with customer success. So if I started a trial and I'm left totally alone, to try everything out, it might be hard. So there, sales has to come in and offer help. Offer help, and if I don't need help, I'll tell you I don't need it or I will not respond. Or like people usually don't respond to me when they don't need help when I suggest it. And if I need help, I know who to talk to. And sometimes when selling dream data, some of the people are also asking, it's like, okay, who am I talking to? Is the sales or is it customer success? Bef- even before we started the call, I said, this is sales, but I'm like pretty technical to go deeper and so on. And that's where you get that understanding how the product is working. And in small pieces, I really like the discovery sessions as well. Don't discover me in an hour session where it's just a Q&A. But if you're asking targeted questions that make me think, do I actually need this product? How am I going to choose it? What kind of alternatives do I have? What if I buy nothing? And as soon as those are coming into the picture as well, then I actually also like kind of in, like, in my mind, I start to like the product even more because that means that they get us, they get our problems and they're not going to oversell on features we don't need.
0: Right. right. So, um, you know, you go to the website, the most important thing is to trial to test out the product. And then to, to the degree that it's complex and requires customization, and maybe there's a lot of features, then you would want help from a human from uh, sales. And so, you know, like a get help button or hey, speak to sales if you need help. Um, and so um, you also look for social proof, uh, and customers to say, like, hey, is this a startup versus an established company, you know? Um, and then you also look at integrations and features to say, hey, like, is this does this work with our tech stack? Does this, you know, um, jive with everything else that we've got? Um, and so, and you even do this, uh, and I, we'll talk about this later in the show, you even do this at Dream Data. Um, you have a free trial, right? And so we'll talk um, a little bit about that when we come back to it. But yeah, it's so important to be able to give people... Um, a taste and um, let them take it for a free spin. And the fact that most companies don't do that, they they really miss out because so you get people into the product, you get people talking about it. um, You get multiple users in it um, and it helps to sell the product and it makes sure that you build a very good product with a good user experience. You're not trying to sell a lemon. Um, And so um, a free trial is a great marketing led growth tactic. So, Okay. Now, um, as a buyer, um, you know, it sounds like you like to do a lot of research on your own and self-educate from peers, uh, from the website, from trying out the product, um, to what extent do you, or what is your percentage split preference for, for like self-serving information, um, through marketing and marketing's influence on your peers versus information, um, that is gated behind sales, like you have to speak to a seller in order to get social proof and customers in order to learn about integration features in order to, uh, do a trial or talk about a trial. Um, none of that information is on the website. So, or it's not, it's not, it's not there for you, um, or from your peers. So what would you say is your percentage split preference for getting information and help, um, through marketing, self-serving through marketing versus Um, having to speak to sales
1: yeah if your information is not on your website that what i need then it's a huge red flag for me it might feel like other big Mm. like search companies that are gating everything like everything is gated and in order to read the smallest piece you'll have to like download it and then sales you know are going to call you it smells like they are trying to hit the quota. Mm. I'm just curious. And and if my curiosity, I have to pay with my time to say no to salespeople. That turns me off. That would mean that if I'm considering a company like a product to buy and they're getting everything and they're using this much time to for sales to reach out to me, to try to convert me and then to later again put me into various cadences, that means for a little person as me who's possibly not even ready to buy just yet, they're using that much money of other people's time to outbound to me, or at least like I came inbound and then they like get back to me with various stuff to sell to me, it's like, "Mm, then must be your product possibly is too expensive because Mm. you've got all that to to sell to me. That's that's the feeling that I get of (laughs) like overpricing. And then if you've got everything out there and you can read everything for yourself, possibly ask sales for help or ask an intercom, I can find this and then they just send it over to you. They are working smart with their own time as well because their salespeople are only talking with people who are actually ready to buy and they haven't hired a team of SDRs of, I don't know, 50 people who are trying to outbound to people who are not even ready to buy. Then they're working really lean in my perspective. And it's easier for me to mm-hmm. not feel guilty saying no to the salesperson that I, I I just wanted to have a peek at this. Sorry, I didn't even do it actually.
0: Yeah, no, totally. So you want that information upfront and transparent on the website um, and to speak to sales to the extent you need and want sales help when you're ready. And so um, what would you say then is your percentage, the preference for for getting information and help from marketing versus sales, like self-serving versus sales, pre-sale. And this is again, pre-sale.
1: Yeah, it depends on the complexity of the product.
0: Mm-hmm. If
1: let's imagine it is a more complex product, then I, I would have difficulties finding the the information of marketing, even though it's out there. Then I would say maybe 70 on the website and 30 from sales, because then I would expect a little bit of personalization. It's a complex product. That's why we need sales to help us out.
0: Yeah. And I think that's typical. It's like, to the extent that it's a complex product or it's complex pricing, then you still want mostly sales ideally to self-educate. And then there's a smaller percentage where, you know, you might need help customizing the product or unpacking something that you just want to double check. And so yeah. the last mile there is, just, is for sales. And so again, you know, sales is really mostly about, post-sale fulfillment than it is pre-sale evaluation to the extent marketing is free to give that information to a buyer up front and transparently. So now let's stay on the sales uh, preferences. So now you're you're still in the buyer's flip-flops and you are engaging with sales. You want and need sales as help. Now, would you prefer a single seller, uh, like an AE CSM combined, um, no handoffs, Same seller helps you pre-sales, the same seller that helps you post-sale? Or would you prefer um, the AE-CSM split and a handoff? One seller helps you pre-sale, another seller helps you post-sale.
1: One person, one person. The only time when I think it is okay to have two is if you've got a junior AE and that person started the discussion together and that person needs help by somebody more senior to close the deal. That's all right. As long as both people then are on the call afterwards. So there is no that handoff and information like going through the cracks. Oh, please tell me where you are and so on. So if a junior AE is trying to learn the job and are is being joined by another person, that's all right. But one person, please.
0: And why is that important to have one person? Like as a, and you and you know, as a buyer, why is having one seller so important, I guess? What, what, what is it about that?
1: First of all, that person understood your needs and those needs are not needed to be transferred to anybody else. So if I am being already in that discovery process together with you, I would expect that discovery process to flow naturally into onboarding of the product as well. So that's not even just one person for the seller, but also I would expect that seller person to carry that information together into our at least first onboarding call or give over the information to customer success in a way that I don't need to repeat that again and again. The information is not lost in any way and we're saving time. So I don't need to have, two calls with an SDR and then a discovery call with an AE and then a demo with an AE. It's like, who has time for this? Mm. Let's talk about it. I've I've found information. I think you are the tool I need. I'll tell you when I need you, we are welcome to ask the discovery questions where it's like, what are the business values that you're trying to achieve and stuff like that. It's okay. I'll tell you all that. And possibly because I'm also in sales it's like, please save my time, save your own time And let's split ways if this is not the tool for you. Because if an SDR has delivered a lead to an AE and SDR is keen for the AE to close it, so that means the AE also has to do a lot of work to convince the person to buy. But what if it's not a good deal? What if like it's better for us not to even have that meeting and that salesperson could focus on something else?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we're seeing that a lot and I'm encouraging people to analyze this at their own company. Whereas what happens today with sales development is sales development will basically spam buyers to push some buyers prematurely to sales and turn off a whole bunch of other buyers. And the premature buyers that come to sales are just looking for information that they should have gone from marketing. They're premature, they're tire kickers. And so sales is stuck with these inferior junk leads of people who are aren't well-informed, aren't serious about buying. And so you see um, sales is suffering um, because of that, because garbage in, garbage out, uh, lower win rates, longer sales cycles, higher cost per acquisition, bloated sales or triaging all these bad leads. And then there's misalignment between marketing and sales and and sales isn't very happy. Um, And either is marketing because marketing is being handcuffed, preempted, counteracted, and crowded out by sales development. And so... um, so for you, it's one seller and a big part of that, um, is that, uh, potential loss of information and, and, um, probably also, uh, the accountability and trust and also the relationship, right? So you, you know, you're, you're in sales and, um, you like, if I were to want to buy dream data, I'd want to work with you because I know you, I like you, I trust you. And if you're going to help me through the, the pre-sale stuff to figure everything out, I'd ideally want you to, to still be there to, to be on the hook and to help me with uh, implementation, adoption, and success and manage that business relationship. And I'm probably more likely to um, be more successful as a customer and more likely to refer and be a loyal advocate and renew and expand because of that. And so now let the other second and final question regarding your sales preferences as a buyer is the way that your seller is compensated. So suppose as a buyer you knew this, say it was advertised on the website. Um, would you prefer a seller who... Um, is commissioned, in other words, fifty percent of their salary is withheld pending the buyer's decision to purchase. In other words, their quota attainment. Um, or would you prefer a seller that is paid their full OTE salary plus bonus? So just like every other department, they get paid fully. It it's regardless of whether or not the buyer, um, you know, chooses to buy. And so suppose as a buyer, you knew this, and maybe you can think about. Um, you know this in in B two B, but also in like B two C or whatever, uh, in retail or service sector, um, oh. stuff. Um, go ahead, and then and yeah, and some color. So, which would you prefer and why?
1: Yeah. Well, personally, I actually listened just recently to Scott Lisa's one of the podcasts where they spoke about the like. OTE for the salespeople. Imagine if they only had their base salary. And it was this good that it almost re- almost reaches 100% of what they would get on the on-target earnings. You wouldn't get into higher. You wouldn't get into lower. What would you choose? So personally, if I had to speak to a salesperson, I would choose the one who gets on-target earnings, is not getting any of like commission breath just in their backs mm. is like buy 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 today buy on discount tomorrow it's going to be more expensive.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But then I want to flip it want to flip it over to you Nelson Ooh. because if you were a VC and you a VC
0: invest- a VC yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: you have invested into the company and you're keen on that company's growth really keen they've got a nice sales department marketing department and so on and. What would you prefer to pay your sales like in order to hit those crazy targets? wouldn't you feel like they're totally relaxed because well, today is the salary like this, and tomorrow is like this? Why should I sell more? What would you prefer? What would you choose?
0: Yeah, so if I was an investor in a company or a venture venture capitalist firm or the owner of the company um or a leader of the company, if I wanted the company to profit and grow the best it can do, and then I would not pressure sell buyers. And I think the purpose of commission and quota is to pressure the seller to pressure the buyer. And that is Mm -hmm. why sales is the only department to have it. And that's a lose-lose, I would say, for everybody. No one, I think, benefits from commission and from quota. The seller doesn't. um, And the buyer certainly doesn't. That commission breath and the experience of knowing that your seller um could be incentivized to pressure sell and a lot of buyers might feel that the the aggressive pressure selling and and the demo post demo and the follow-ups and th- that they might be wary and that the seller might overpromise under deliver um bring on a bad fit just to get the commission or that they feel bad saying no to the seller because you know the seller's commission and it's just it's not a um it's not a good buying experience and that is not good for sales and and commission is not great for sales it's one of the reasons why a lot of people don't like sales because half of their paycheck is being withheld pending the buyer's decision to purchase, which is sizably outside of their control. So if I was an investor or a leader or the owner of the company, I would, to the extent that I had sales, I would pay them a full salary plus bonus, full OTE salary plus bonus. The bonus is a superior incentive uh, structure which is why every Mm -hmm. other department has it, that's the icing on the cake. And you can do all sorts of bonuses. You can do a bonus based on individual performance, team performance, company performance. You can do discretionary bonuses. You can do annual bonuses, whatever. You can like do bonuses for tons of different reasons and purposes, but that's in addition to a full salary. And so um, there's a lot of companies, uh, Laura, I'm not sure if you're aware of them, that uh, have seen the light about full salary plus bonus and are paying their sellers properly and are seeing the results um, for the company, for, for sales, for buyers. Those are microchip technology, Backblaze, legion, logistics, plural site, culture, amp, bamboo, HR, monday.com, refined labs, Zapier, bravado. And those are just the ones that like I'm aware of by the by, um, you know, cause this stuff is not public information, but there's a tons more. And I think they should be more public about it. And I think they should definitely, if they haven't, they should be advertising that on the website. Because I think if a buyer saw that on the website, they'd be like, cool, mm-hmm. I, I know my seller is going to do, is like going to focus on, you know, uh, me and not on their paycheck. And yeah. um, they're going to do the right thing or more. And that doesn't mean that every seller who's commissioned isn't, in, um, is incentivized uh, improperly. I think there's a lot of sellers, including myself once, who um, do what's best despite the incentives laid out by commission, and so um, yeah, that that's what I would probably say to that. Um, so I, uh, before maybe we move on, any any uh, thoughts on that? Um, I want to maybe like throw that, that back to you
1: because when I. Like what happened in my mind when you asked the question, I was thinking, okay, if I'm the buyer, I would prefer the seller not to breathe with all that compensation into me because, well, I might want to buy in a month, not now, please just help me out. But then I thought about these, those startup companies that do pay out the commissions because they think, okay, we need to whip them. We, uh, the more we whip the sales, the faster they will go deal velocity will raise, they will be very excited to close the deals. And if at the end of the quarter, we're short, we can always go back to sales and say, we need to sell more. And then they will be whipped again, and we'll be going after that additional commission, or if there is another incentive that is suggested at the end of the quarter, because that sounds that it might be working. But then when you flip it over to the other side, while you're working with humans, you're not working with animals that need to be whipped. You, You are able, like if you have hired somebody and they are with all their heart trying to do the best for the company they're working for, it doesn't matter if they're in customer success in sales or in marketing. They want to do the best job for the company and company's goal is revenue. And if they are focused on that, they will do their best. And if it's out of their control, they will not need to feel bad about it that I was not able to close this deal and it came two months later. Mm. It's like fantastic that it came and now I can get that additional bonus. So that's that's how I think that. I like the way you think.
0: Yeah, and... um like, I think if you think about the other departments, like no other department wants commission. And if you did commission other departments, imagine what would happen if you said, hey, HR, 50% of your salary would be withheld pending how many people you hire or fire, or hey, co- uh, coding team, product team, 50% of your salary be withheld pending, um, you know, how many lines of code you write, Um, they would quit. And so... Uh, and those other departments aren't suffering like sales is suffering. And so it's really unpleasant as a seller to be commissioned. I was commissioned. I hated it. Um, There's a lot of, uh, you know, misunderstanding and smoke and mirrors about commission and why I spent a lot of time on it and uh, in the book um, and we'll be talking more about it in the future, but I see it as one of the, one of the symptoms of sales led growth Um, and uh, that, If you are going to have sales, it's, yeah, it's, it's not a a profitable, uh, and a good growth tactic. And I I would avoid it. Um, and so now let's now take off your buyer flip flops and put on your marketing and or sales glasses and scarf or, you know, she's got the glasses on. You guys can't see this, but there you go. Nice one. Wow. Look at that. And so now. This is going to be interesting because so you you work for Dreamdata.io, which is a marketing software company to help marketers do attribution and kind of realize what marketing efforts are doing what and by how much and kind of putting together the whole the whole picture of the of how they're influencing buyers. So um, at Dreamdata.io, do you guys actually do one to one interviews um, with your buyers similar to what I've done with you? to um, get, you know, just feedback one-on-one and learn how they like to be marketed and sold to, but maybe, I guess, especially marketed, how they like to become aware of vendors, um, how they don't like to become aware of vendors, maybe how they heard about Dream Data and maybe what made them buy Dream Data and what influenced them during their purchase. Do you guys do any of those interviews as well in addition to using Dream Data for Dream Data and, and using software to kind of map the points as well? Do you add that? And if so, you know, what do you guys hear?
1: Mm -hmm. I think it's a very good question to ask, like, how are you assessing the information about the vendors when you're looking for it? We always ask, where have you heard about us from? And kind of talk about, usually if they don't mention the LinkedIn game, then we would ask, like, are you on there? And have you been consuming anything, our events and so on to get a little bit of feedback? But I think it's a very good idea to find out how, how do they prepare, especially in the choosing phase because that will help us to be better at running sales meetings as well mm. Maybe they want marketing to be even more involved than they are. We get a lot of feedback we do customer interviews as well, but we get tons of feedback about the LinkedIn we get mm. people asking us. Please, can you make more product videos? Mm. We're used to posting mostly in our community, but we started doing that on LinkedIn and people are coming back, especially the free accounts. People who are like too small to buy, they're saying, well, please, can you make more? I'm educating myself with this. Mm. So that marketing information that possibly we're just putting on YouTube and throwing into communities, people are seeing that on LinkedIn as well. So it's like, okay, we're going to do more of this as well. So we do listen to them, have conversations, both like post-sale conversations of how was your experience. But I think we should add a question as well into like, how do you prefer to consume the information?
0: Yeah, it might be an interesting um, exercise for you to add to uh, your to your software. And then that could be something that you also add to your content marketing and your social media marketing, it's like, hey, in addition to getting feedback from our software, we also recommend that you do these customer interviews, or you do these buyer interviews, and then triangulate and combine both the quantitative software data plus, which can often tell you what, but maybe the qualitative interviews can tell you more about the why uh, from buyers, and then you mesh the two together to have the full picture. And I think as the mission of your company is really to help marketers understand their attribution that I think can be a really good play. And it's like either you somehow integrate your product and this could be something that you you factor into your product or to to what sales does with post sale fulfillment, which is you also help people with these customer interviews. Um, but I think it strengthens the value proposition of your company. Now you mentioned some of the ways that people are hearing and learning about dream data, LinkedIn being one of them, the content uh, product videos being another, and that you have a community, you have YouTube Um, can you, uh, you know, maybe expand a bit about that? So what is, um, you know, what, what are the key marketing things that you guys are leaning into and doing that you're seeing resonates a lot with buyers and is helping them to become aware and learn and is really influencing them. So what are some of those, maybe you can flesh that out a little bit more.
1: Yeah, for sure. And for an attribution platform advocate and seller, it's always like a very interesting discussion to get into like demand generation. How do you generate demand that you cannot measure? Because this is where everything starts and we're absolutely aware of it. So we're doing a lot of LinkedIn. And when I'm saying doing a lot of LinkedIn, it's personal posting on LinkedIn. We found find ourselves, our own voices and like product market in our own ways, the way we feel is comfortable, but also the way people perceive us as well. So LinkedIn is a huge channel. In addition to that, we're on a lot of podcasts. Mm. People marketers, they listen constantly to podcasts. To start with, we started pitching for podcasts. And now when it has accumulated in a big time, then we are invited to podcasts. This is a huge one. In addition to that, we are in various communities, kind of listening into communities. If somebody is asking some specific questions or we've got partners who also pitch in and say, oh, but maybe you would like to talk with Dream Data about this. Mm. So the partner program is starting to become also a big thing where Sam is running it together with the partners. They're if they're bringing clients. But at the same time, since we've got the brand cooking like that, like people find us places where they like to find the information, then our partners from various agencies are not afraid to push leads over to us just to like start reading about us because they know that they're going to read the content and they're not going to be pushed by sales Just instantly it's like, oh, if a partner has mentioned dream data, so like, okay, one salesperson jumped in their chair and picked up the phone. "Uh -uh, This is not going to happen. We're going to let that partner lead this and we're going to follow up if it's still happening into something. And we're going to make sure that marketing is going to help them out with the information that we've got. So LinkedIn, communities, partnerships, we've got YouTube, but it's not that big. And you got a free um, trial
0: on the website, right? Oh
1: yeah. So that's that's kind of the, the biggest thing. When I started at Dream Data, we didn't have it. It was early days and it needs work and so on. When we got the free trial, and well, I'm coming from the enterprise sales. I'm going to exaggerate a little bit, but this is more or less how it felt. It's like, okay, I like this, but I think I'm going to be out of job very soon. And why do they need me? Because our people who want to buy, they come into the website, they start the trial. We only need customer success to take it over and to help them. It's like, why do you need me anymore? But then the more time it went, then of course, we, I understood it better because I was like selling big enterprise stuff. You cannot test, you do the big POCs and all that kind of stuff. But there you you still need to collaborate with customer success, help them out, and try to understand what is it people are trying with that product. What are you trying to solve? Maybe we're not the right one, so very often than not for the free trials, I talk to people, why are we not the right platform for them? If we don't get if we get an ice not an i c p or somebody I can see like from your company profile from everything that I read about you you're not going to get anything out of it. So instead of just trying to sell to them, I nicely write an email that due to these specific reasons, I don't think it's going to work. And usually I get a thank you.
0: Wow. Wow. So that's amazing. So that's the, that's a, that's a wonderful buying experience, I think. And um, I'd be curious to kind of go through that myself and like almost, uh, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that to you but I, I, you know, I think
1: do it. let's it, try it out.
0: You know, I, I would be curious to secret shop. And I think, you know, uh but I wish I could do it for real. Um and and not just do it to to, to test. I wouldn't want to do that with you. But I think that's you know, I think you guys are doing a great job. Um and uh, you know, I, I look forward to sort of seeing the growth that you guys have. And I think one thing you also mentioned that was very important is partnerships. Like it's partnerships is a great marketing led growth tactic. And uh it's just your help, you know, it's a great ecosystem of partners that you have that can give you a bunch of, uh, great leads and they've got their own audience. They've got customers and then it's just this nice virtuous circle and really decreases your cost per acquisition. And it's a, it's just a referral. And so those, those are wonderful. So, you know, it's good that you guys have that in place. Now, I think what I want to do at this point, um, is, maybe flip the script a little bit and you know you we were talking about you know you've kind of known me for about six months or so and have seen some of my content and you know at first when you saw my content six months ago um you were like wow he's just poo-pooing on um sales and poo-pooing on sales development and like uh, and you know you you're you you have a very strong sales background You're technically a sales role but you also have a marketing hat on and so um, maybe I wanted to uh throw it to you and to see, you know, um, what have you observed from my own marketing? Uh, what were your thoughts on where I was six months ago, where I'm now today? And then maybe you've also got some questions um regarding some of the stuff I've been saying that you want to jam on and we can just kind of go from there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So when I first I don't remember when I was like exactly exposed to you. It was definitely on LinkedIn and i think i watched one of your videos so the poster that you've got behind you the death mm. of the sdr that you're covering i think this is what i more or less saw it's mm. like and and the first thought was okay he who is this jerk who is talking badly about sales I'm in sales and I think this is a marketing stunt for him to get attention from other people than sales and and one thing I've really wondered I was like who buys this Hmm. like if if you're talking negatively about some things and I didn't like dig into big stuff and so on was the, the like the picture I saw I think I Saw you talking for like one minute or two on a video, and I said, "Okay, just leave it. Like, Don't get your energy on this." But then later, when I started seeing you pop up some other places and you were a part of other podcasts and so on, then then I started to understand that actually we're talking the same language, but just the language you chose to begin with was very harsh, and in a way that. Like I spoke earlier before, like if you're an SDR and somebody is saying the death of SDR, and this is your job because you actually didn't choose it. You have to keep it because for whatever certain reasons, you cannot change right now. And I'm sorry for that person, but that person is hurt by this message. And this is partly the way I felt like a little bit hurt. And and then after that, when said, okay, he actually speaks exactly the same things that I'm speaking about, and marketing is important for them, and he's actually just saying that SDRs have to move closer to marketing, and this like, SDR is not dead, but possibly they have to do things differently, and you can still call them SDR. They're not dead, (laughs) and this is this is like the thoughts that I went through. But but what did the first part of messaging bring you? Mm. Can you walk? through that. I know you've changed and now things are different now. You're covering the death of the SDR. <laughs> You're yeah, so, you, what, what did the for bring you?
0: Yeah, you guys haven't seen this yet. I've got a new poster for the book that I'll be releasing and a re- bit of a rebrand. And so the old yeah. title of the book was The Death of the SDR and the Birth of the Biocentric Revenue Model. And now the new title of the book is Marketing-Led Growth via the buyer Revenue Model. And so there's nothing about the death of the SDR. Now, um, where I was uh, about a year ago, so I published the book almost as like a beta product, like a year ago, put out the MVP for like market feedback. Um, What I, where I was intellectually was, I saw that sales development was the biggest problem in B2B, um, that uh, holding back profit and growth, that it was um, the worst symptom of sales-led growth. And so I focused on that. And I saw that as more problematic than the sales assembly line or the a e c s m split. I saw it as more problematic than yeah. quote and commission and I saw that as if if we can fix sales if we can basically um sunset sales development and repurpose that talent fully into marketing um then a lot of the other problems would go away and but that was the first one to solve and so what I then realized was that fundamentally i kind of zoomed out a little bit and i realized uh i had just made an epiphany moment where i had realized that sales development and sales assembly line quote and commission were four symptoms of sales-led growth in the 1980s and that b2b Mm -hmm. just hasn't modernized with marketing-led growth um and that buyers want more marketing and way less sales and that marketing is the key profit and growth driver And that these bad practices of sales development, the sales assembly and quoting commission are sales problems, like sales advocates for them, not marketing. And um, I realized, well, unfortunately, um, sales is largely holding B2B back and marketing has and is and will continue to be pushing B2B towards modernization and liberation. But you need a model in order to get there. Um, People don't Leave one thing unless they've got something better, and so I had to shift the, the the messaging to be more positive and to show that hey, there's a new model here, um, and coin some term to describe it, which is marketing-led growth. People will talk about product-led growth, and that is just a euphemism for a free trial, which is an aspect of marketing-led growth. So I, I think B two B struggles to acknowledge marketing, <laughs> so they'll they'll like say product-led growth, but or sales-led growth, but they won't ever you know acknowledge marketing i think that's just a symptom of sales like growth so it's more of a positive message um and my audience is marketers because i again i see marketers as the vanguard of progress and marketing is the key to growth and unfortunately sales is not is not that largely so um that's why i did a shift of a rebrand and um i think uh part of my content will be negative and part of it will be positive. Part of it will be attacking and part of it will be positive. And so I think the negative to criticize, like let's say Chris Walker, for example, Chris Walker will criticize, but there's, there's the problem and solution statements, right? In marketing, it's like, old way, bad, new way, good, but there's always the new way or the good way. Right. And so I'm always trying to make sure that there's um, the negative is often a good hook. um, And Uh, but there needs to be a positive to show people that there's a better way. And then that there's a codified model um, and a transition plan. So it's not just like um, I think one of the reasons, for example, so the predictable revenue model um, is helps to preserve some of sales led growth. And that was a book that came out in 2011. And so because it was a book and it was based on the early two thousands. So, but because it was a book, it was codified. It it was a model people like, Markers marketers and sales leaders and owners and investors, they need a playbook. They need a model. And so – and you have to codify that in a book. You cannot codify a model in a LinkedIn post in 3,000 characters. So I don't think people will take you seriously. And so um, I think having to put this out in a book, having to do a podcast, doing all this type of stuff, and then the research interviews like what I'm doing right now – is a way for people to see this is legit. This is not just someone who's tearing people down or just like criticizing yeah. without providing a solution. It's like, no, there is a way, and that this is legit and that there's a lot of thought that went into this. But you're right that some of the initial feedback I had gone from the market, which is why it's really important to do these buyer interviews. Um, but sometimes we call these like product marketing interviews, but you know, when you speak to your buyers, when marketing speaks to buyers 1v1 and ask them all sorts of questions to get feedback on the product or about their marketing, about their message, messaging, messaging, their position, their audience, their tactics, um, part, this stuff will come out and I had feedback from people. And so once I had that feedback, I had to go back and update the book and update my positioning and messaging and change the oh. cover and all this type of stuff. And so... Now, I think the it's much better and there's a positive movement now. Now there's a Slack community. Now there's people who are, who are wanting to be a part of this movement to enable marketing like growth. So that's a very long winded answer to your question. <laughs> yeah.
1: All right. This is also kind of the transition that I've seen of you without even talking with you. <laughs> so it's, I, I see that and I understand it. And I'm happy that you moved away from that very big negativity. And negativity does sell, but in like limited portions, especially when people see the way out of it. Mm. And usually people prefer the way out of it, but are stuck to that part that is being criticized, then they're even more prone to hear, okay, tell me more about that, because this is where I want to go. I'm possibly not happy there in this situation where I am Do I need to change the job or the process or something else.
0: Yeah, totally. And so trying to help people now transition, get from point A to B, which is I think a lot of what you do for dream data, it's like, you're right now at the point at which you don't really know what's working, what's not, and by how much, and what's really like what marketing, um, you know, efforts are influencing buyers uh, and contributing to their buying journey, and so uh, that's a big blocker for B two B marketing to get the right investment or deploy the right resources and to get credit where credit is due, and so uh, to make smarter bets and and investments, and so um, you kind of have to show and say like, Hey, your HubSpot is not enough or Hey, um, you know, I don't know who you guys compete against or what the, what the, but it's just, um, you kind of have to show that the current status quo, whatever it is, which is, could be nothing or not even using the software or existing competitors. Um, it just doesn't, doesn't, isn't up to snuff, but you have to show the positive and that's what people, yeah. and that's, and how to get there. And so I think the product videos you guys do, or some of the uh, case studies you guys show is kind of showing that. And it's all, it's this positive message of what could be, what should be. So no, that's really great feedback that you gave to me. Now, um, any other closing thoughts or, or closing bits and pieces you want to to jam on? I'm just cognizant of time. And I, uh, but I also want um, you know, to, you know, see if there's any, uh, any bits and pieces that we haven't covered yet.
1: Yeah for sure one thing when I what I came with into this podcast is also the way I'm doing outbound sales through LinkedIn because I'm not cutting off outbound sales I still do that I'm in sales and I wanted to have your perspective of what you think about that because well what people do see is they see me active on LinkedIn mm. and they do see that highlight that you read oh she's generating all of her inbound from linkedin and so on that inbound doesn't happen from nowhere so the way i work and try to like give me some feedback what you think is the way i work when i post something i usually not all the time but usually have a prospect in mind somebody i connected with somebody i had a conversation with or not even a conversation that let's say the prospect is cold but i know their problems i make a post for them in public without mentioning or anything, but the post is for them. Meaning that even if it doesn't reach them, it reaches more people. Then when I start the conversation with that person, somewhere on public again. So I don't move on to DMs or anything. I start the conversation in comments and it's marketers we're selling to. So it's pretty easy. They're pretty active and so on. Started in comments over there and we're still staying in public. So what I'm doing is I'm not making I think I'm not making the person uncomfortable to like, oh, let's move to that dark corner of the DMs and let's chat. Let me book a meeting together with you. We're having a conversation. I'm getting some credibility from you and together with you that, well, we're just having a conversation that everybody can see. So I am benefiting of it because we're having a conversation, of course, I possibly can book a meeting. But at the same time, that conversation is visible for the rest who is watching. So that's comment is going to work for me as well. And then later, then when I move to the DMs, then it's not odd and weird to do that Mm. because we already know we had a conversation in public. So now let's move into that darker, cozy corner and have a chat if we are to book a meeting or just continue the conversation and then we're going to find it out. Have you seen other people do that?
0: Yeah, so what I would say... Is what you're doing is social media marketing, which is very different from LinkedIn spam. and so social media marketing, it's posting, it's commenting, it's engaging, it's connecting, um, you know you're tagging people it's it's on a public platform. Um, it's very different from spam. So the way that I define spam, spam is a unconsented marketing solicitation with a product pitch or a request to speak to sales to a buyer's private inbox, phone, email, LinkedIn, physical home or work address. And so um, that is very different from the LinkedIn spam, which is, hey, Laura, you know, would you want to speak to sales? Hey, this is our product pitch. You want to speak to sales? So what you're doing is social media marketing. Now, um, you're in an interesting situation where you're also the seller. Um, You're an account executive. And so now to some of the people in your audience, they might be a little bit wary, given that buyers are very wary of sellers for the yeah. reasons we talked about. So, and again, your, your audience is marketers. So I would actually say two things. One, as long as you are not spamming buyers, um, as long as you're not hitting them with product pitches or requests, to speak to sales, and that you'll know very quickly from feedback from them to the extent that you're doing that. If it's not, if it's not working well and you're turning people off and they're tuning out. Um, but very clearly it seems that your, your social media marketing is working. You're doing it right. You're, you're not spamming people and people, um, are becoming aware of dream data, learning about dream data. And when they're ready, they are requesting, uh, to speak to sales. Now, um, I would, if I were you, um, and if I were dream data, I might consider to what extent would you prefer being a marketer now and doing this full time. And, um, not being a seller, or having a seller in your title, because that could, be, again, a great marketing is peer to peer. So, uh-huh. um, for example, if you are selling into HR or into finance, the key move today is for marketers to have either the founder who has an HR or selling background and therefore created the product and knows HR and finance really well, or to have HR and finance internally help to be the subject matter expert and create mm-hmm. content and do social media, or they hire someone externally on a contract or part-time basis, a brand ambassador to create that content because it's peer to peer content. And so no. for you, I would say you would get even more uh, power if it was peer to peer. And so maybe consider, and um, to what extent would you prefer a marketing hat um, and a marketing title over a sales role? And then I would also say um, one great way to invite buyers um to a discussion, a non sale situation is to have them on the podcast. And so I don't know if you guys have a podcast of your own. The other thing is to, if you have an event that's happening, um, you know, and you want them to be a speaker, uh, Mm. you know, and you say like, Hey, you know, I dig your stuff. Uh, Would you want to uh, apply to be a speaker or something like that? It's a non sale situation. It's a, it's to co-create content, just like the podcast is to co-create content Another could be a market research interview and it's like, Hey, um, you know, notice that you've been talking about attribution. Um, you know, we are trying to build an attribution product. Um, we, uh, would love your market feedback uh, for product marketing interview, non sale situation. Um, and that's market research. It's not with sales, but again, it wouldn't be right. I think if it to come for you because you're technically a seller, but, um, if you weren't, let's say, or another person, on the team, then they can have that person come in and say, Hey, yeah, here's the product. Like, here's what we're thinking in terms of the product and how we're marketing it. Well, you know, what do you think about this? And then you could even, um, you know, people, people, uh, are often love to do those. Uh, they're happy to do that. And, um, you know, they like to be uh, help companies build products that could potentially help them and yeah. they can share their expertise and they might become a customer that might tell other people about it. Um, they might be an advisor, they might invest in your company. Um, and so all sorts of good things come out of that, but it's non sales situation. So those are various yeah. different ways to engage with, um, with buyers on social media. And again, um, that's very, very different from the connect and pitch. That's where um, so you might have heard the term social selling. And I think you might have used this um, in your LinkedIn profile. So, uh, uh, you know, have you heard of this? Or did you use this in your LinkedIn profile? No
1: what what are you thinking about? Yeah. Social
0: yeah selling so yeah. So yeah. So social selling, I talked about this last episode with Janelle Amos, I think, and it is a euphemism for social media marketing. Um, and uh, the the reason why they say social selling and not social media marketing is it's typically trying to sell social media marketing to sales and sales development, because oftentimes sales and sales development has to do marketing's job because marketing is not liberated and free to properly support sales um, to the extent that sales is necessary. But, um, and so sales and sales development have to go do marketing, but you can't tell, you can't say to them, go do social media marketing because they're going to say, Hey, that's marketing. And that's like, that's the point. And so you have to say social selling. Um, Now you would also say, it's not, um, telemarketing, because that would that would make it very clear that it's telemarketing. it's cold calling. Um, it's not uh, email spam, it's cold email. It's not uh, you know uh, there's all sorts of euphemisms um to to basically hide. Oh, it's not marketing, it's prospecting, which is a code for spam. So that's prospecting is telemarketing, email spam, LinkedIn spam, physical mail spam, and bribery via gift cards. Um, It's what sales used to do back in the 1980s when marketing couldn't do its stuff today. So sales would go, quote unquote, outbound to buyers with spam. And so they had to call that a name that wasn't marketing. So they said it's prospecting. And so um, now that's, I think, important for... The social media marketing is because what you're doing is social media marketing. And so I would say if, if I were someone at Dream Data, now this is regardless of what your, your preferences, preferences are, I would say, Laura, I would love for you to be in marketing. I'd love for you to do the podcast. I'd love for you to do just content, social TikTok videos, whatever. I think you would be amazing at that um, and you, you're doing great at that. And that way you're relieved of any of the account executive sales work, which I don't know to what extent you enjoy doing that more than the marketing stuff. And if you do want both to some extent, but essentially marketing nowadays is sales at scale. You're basically convincing people, influencing people, um, in the way that they want to be influenced, um, and, and largely how they want to get information and help. So I think that potentially you might unlock further profit and growth, for dream data, and maybe have a more productive and fulfilling career. And again, this is maybe it's a lot of things I don't know about your preferences, if you were fully transitioned to marketing.
1: That's a very interesting one. And I really love the part where you're talking social selling, it's kind of like a wolf in sheep's clothes to come in into sales. And it's like, look, do this, because this is Selling. <laughs> oh, then, you're gonna love that, my
0: content, great. Laura. Um, where I, basically I, I will be exposing what I call sales development profiteers and peddlers. Um, these are people who sell who sell sales development services, products, and labor and influence with marketing. They are people uh-huh. who do extensive marketing, podcasts, LinkedIn, social media marketing, TikTok. They're active in communities. They got partnerships, a website. Um, and, uh, I'll just to mention, like, first of all, Gong is one of them. They sell sales development software primarily, but they do amazing marketing. So they're a sales development software company built by marketing, um, despite their sales development. You look at outreach.io, outreach.io bought sales hacker because they needed marketing to sell their sales development spam software to sales development. So they bought a sales development community and they bought the marketing, um, uh, arm of sales hacker and they do a tremendous amount of marketing today. Sam Nelson does their podcast. I don't know. Sorry. Scott Barker does their podcast. Sam Nelson does a lot of LinkedIn social media marketing and dyed his hair blue. Manny Medina does LinkedIn content marketing. And so, um, yeah, you've got, uh, sales, sales development trainers and consultants. You've got Josh Braun who helps, uh, sales development reps personalize their email spam. You've got Morgan Ingram and Josh, Josh, John Barrows or yeah, John Barrows. Um, you've got, Tito Bort, you've got Michael Hansen, you've got Jason Bay, you got Marcus Chan, all these people are profiteering off of the plight of sales development off the plight of SDRs, and they sell sales development with marketing. And so I will be making it a point to expose them and to call them out for their hypocrisy. And as I'm doing now, but that will be in future LinkedIn content. Right now, I'm focusing on some other content. But um part of that will be teardowns, and so this was if you look at profit well profit well was a a uh, a company that I think was helping people with pricing pages, and what they did yeah. often as part of their content was tear downs and so the thing was shitty pricing. however, use our product and to have a good pricing model and so um basically, I will be exposing these people as uh you know these peddlers, but I will also um be trying to present a positive. And for me, one of the reasons why I actually I took a break from LinkedIn for about a month and a half, Um, uh-huh. if people may recall was because I had to go back and do product, I had to go back and do product and work on also my product marketing, my messaging, my positioning, and then come back and then do the whole marketing things again, which is what companies should be doing periodically as the market changes and getting feedback from buyers and seeing what resonates. But um yeah, so so, I will be calling those people out. Stay tuned They're for that. So
1: but- controversial. Oh my <laughs> God. It's like, yeah. where is my popcorn? I'm going to watch this. You're naming all of the people that I really admire for the way they are in LinkedIn. Mm. And I really do admire the way they are in LinkedIn. I have no idea how good they are at their job and everything that you're talking about. They're good marketers. They're really been- good marketers. And
0: they are, and that's what I'll be yeah, pointing out. I'll be giving them credit. I will, I'll I'm saying to them, "You're great marketers. Thank you so much for ex- providing examples of proper non-spam, modern marketing to sell spam." And so <laughs> I think it's just it's just people need to realize, and they themselves may not realize. So first of all, they're not, to my knowledge, ill-intending bad people. They might not be aware of the fact or the contradiction that they are selling sales development with marketing. Um, and that sales development is unnecessary and does more harm than good relative to their marketing, that they would be better off if they did no sales development and that their sales development counteracts and handcuffs their marketing, whatever. They may not be aware of that. And chances are that's what it, it is. The other thing is what's known as compartmentalization psychologically. Psychologically, um, they need to tell themselves that spam is, is, is like useful as part of their marketing mix. Like it's icing on the cake, even though it's actually poison in this, in the champagne glass. And so even though these people, um, have done a lot of spam in their personal life, uh, they don't actually do spam to promote their services or labor. They're doing marketing. Um, they're just so it's a, they're selling a bad product with, with good marketing. And so, but they haven't come, they haven't allowed themselves to, uh, have that live with that contradiction to acknowledge it explicitly. It would be, it would be too much for them to say the product that I'm selling is actually terrible. Um, but I'm promoting it with, with proper marketing. And so, but the advice that I give to these people, and I, um, I, I've helped sales development agency owners who've reached out to me and they say, "Hey, what should I do?" I agree with you, and um, I say to them, "Diversify." Like Alex Boyd from Revenue Zen, who diversified his agency from a sales development agency to a marketing agency, and has seen his clients and his own ROI and profits and growth increase tremendously, and he's more fulfilled because he's not spamming people and he's not helping companies spam people. So I would say to these software companies um diversify away from sales development and towards marketing and um or and besides you're doing tons of great marketing anyways so you know you know it shouldn't be an issue (laughs) so yeah um so sorry for that terrible long rant um
1: i think it's very very interesting (laughs) i'm looking forward to this um thank you very much for the chat i really enjoyed it and i'm forward to to following i actually really like what alex is doing as well i'm a part of his now what do we call this like social selling course or something
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh does he oh i'm gonna have words with alex yeah yeah.
1: i'm not sure if it's a social I, i think it's called something else that's that's what i just don't remember what it is anyway yeah yeah thank you
0: yeah thank you so much for coming on the show laura we went over a lot so i this is my job as a host i'm supposed to wrap up here so you know thank you so much for coming on for for sharing your insights with everyone and um you know i think uh you're a great example for people to follow uh and so uh find laura on linkedin uh her details will be in the description of the podcast episode it's how i heard about her um but yeah, and check out Dream Data as a marketing software company for attribution. I think will be key for marketers to help get the right investment and get credit where credit is due. Um, their details will also be in the podcast description. And with that, buyer-centric revenue model over and out.